We believe you have a story to share. For 2,000 years, humankind has believed in the power of story. In healthcare, we're finding ways to better heal those who are in front of us. Join us as we explore healing stories now. Welcome again to another edition of Healing Stories, and it's my great honor and pleasure to be with one of my longtime friends, almost 20 years, Sister Mary Owens. That's true. 20 years, and we go to East Africa today, even though we are finding ourselves in Washington, D.C., but Sister, I wonder if you could introduce yourself to our audience today. My name is Sister Mary Owens. I am a sister of the Institute of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I am on mission in Kenya since 1969. At first, I was in education for the first 18 years. Then I decided to retrain because I could see that Kenyans now were being trained as teachers. So I felt called into a profession that was not yet so developed. And I did a master specializing in psychological counseling. And when I came back, I was student counselor in Kenyatta University. But I had met Father Angelo D'Agostino as well. And because I needed a supervisor while I was doing my accreditation with the British Association for Counselors and Psychotherapists, I asked him if he would do that supervision for me, which he agreed. And then later, he invited me to set up the Center of Religion and Psychiatry with him. That was in 91. Very soon after that, he got another call, a call from God to reach out to the most marginalized, he believed, in our world today. And that was children living with HIV, who were often totally abandoned, left behind, uh, left on the streets, left behind in hospital because of ignorance, fear, and discrimination, the extended family would disappear after the parents passed away. That was 1992, and 26 years later, Nyumbani has grown considerably. We now have over 4,700 children under our care. 124 in Nyumbani home, which cares for the totally abandoned children living with HIV. Over 3,000 in a community-based care program in the informal community surrounding the city of Nairobi. We have eight centers and we give these children who are able to live with some family the same holistic care we give the children in Nyumbani home. All of them are living with HIV. And then the final vision Father D'Agostino had was to reach out to the two left behind generations of the HIV pandemic, grandparents 
left behind to bring up their biological grandchildren and groups of children living in child-headed households. So he had the unique idea of inviting an aged and destitute grandparent left behind to bring up biological grandchildren but couldn't do it so well to come into this village which we built from the ground and to ask them to take into the family family groups from the child-headed households to make a family of about 10 children headed by a grandparent. So today we have 100 families in residence, approximately 1,000 children, 100 grandparents, and we have the services that the children and the parents need. We have a primary school, a high school, and a vocational training center for the children. We have a clinic and a laboratory for everybody. And then we have administration block, and we have a farm where we grow the food for the families. And we have a self-sustaining project, a forest project. And I came over in 2001, uh, was my first time, but it wasn't my first time with Numbani because that was when I was a junior in college reading about this project That's and this right. DAG who we knew to be quite forceful. And then he passed and then coming out and being uh, with his dream of this village was almost a building a community of hope. Uh, this kind of place where people who have been forgotten could come and we realized too, it's important to tell the story. And you are one of the great storytellers <laughs> and animators. Mm -hmm. And I wonder over these years, uh, have you seen anything in terms of people responding to healing, people responding to a way of care that might be able to be transferred to all of us who are trying to live this life? Are there things you have learned over these years that you just say, let's not forget this about how we're treating the other human being in front of us? Well, first I want to say that Father D'Agostino wanted to have these children experience as close a family living mm -hmm. as was possible. In the home, we have the separate families, five of them. But still, it's not as, for example, in the village. In the village, each family can have their own uh, way of living in the sense that they can decide what time to get up, what time to go to bed. Uh, you know, Children have to be there in school, therefore they have to get up at a certain time, but on Saturday and Sunday it's different. Mm -hmm. And uh, they can decide also um, the menu for the meals. They can allocate the duties to the various children and the grandparent does that. Um, so it's more like living in a family. Mm -hmm. And the difference we see is that these uh, young people in the village are more resilient and have more uh, capacity when they start to leave the village, that they can 
take responsibility for um, their own life. They still need assistance with financing their um, higher education, but they can handle life with greater um, independence. The children in the home uh, have a dependency syndrome, and so their challenge when they move into the wider community is much greater than for those from the village. So that's an observation that, um, which we know, but now I have experienced it. You follow? I do, and yeah, and I never really probably step back to say there are some fundamentals of what you and I were given in our own families. Yes, in terms of love, mm -hmm. in terms of support, and in terms of freedom. Yeah, that freedom mm -hmm. when it's time to go mm -hmm. to carry in yourself this sense of confidence. Yes, uh, as the phoenix is rising, right? Isn't mm -hmm. that one of the groups That's in right, yes. Leo Toto? Can it you talk is. a little bit about that? Because I yes. think that encapsulates mm -hmm. an image yes. for us mm -hmm. about what we're trying to mm -hmm. understand about this this network of hope. Now, um, the graduates, we call them, uh, and these are the young people who um, exit from our care in the community-based care program. They decided that they wanted to give back to the children who are still in our program to mentor them. And so they formed this group called the Phoenix. And they um, visit the various centers and give talks to the children, a mentorship like mm -hmm. that. So um, this is marvelous. And uh, they're like peer um, coordinators as well. So um, we're, we were very excited and thrilled that they thought of doing that. This is in the Leototo program. Um, the village have not yet had an alumni like that, but the home are beginning to have an alumni organization. Uh, but still they're at the stage of trying to get themselves established. I would hope that later on they will move into giving back, right? in this sense of confidence, having been uh, watching a group of individuals who are cast away, marginalized, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you've found this way to empower them. And, yes. and isn't that part of probably what we're all dealing with in our lives mm -hmm. who might have been cast aside or mm. we've been judged mm -hmm. and we don't know quite how to reintegrate, mm -hmm. whether it's in a company, into a family, uh, in to the institution of the church. I mean, you've, yeah. you've developed some of these methods towards uh, reintegration. Well, number one, we tried to build the self-esteem of these children who are living with HIV. You know, the stigma is horrific. And when they move out from our care, particularly those from Nyumbani home, I'll explain that shortly. Um, and they try to reintegrate and make friends. But they're carrying a secret, mm -hmm. and that is their status. Mm -hmm. And so when they make friends, 
the question is, will I tell my friend that I'm living with HIV? And if I do, will that person still be my friend? Yes. Again, they're vulnerable in employment. If my employer finds out that I'm living with HIV, will they get rid of me? It's illegal to dismiss on the basis of status, but you know, employers can find ways and means of getting um, a person um, dismissed, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so the stigma is still there for those who are in the Leototo program and for the few children who are in the village. Uh, approximately 10% of the children in the village are living with HIV. So they, those are very vulnerable still. Within the um, Leototo uh, community-based care program, um, these people are living in uh, these horrific conditions. Um, you know, the houses are very small. They're, you know, one after another with very little land, no land actually. Um, there's no water, no electricity. So they have seen their parents cope with these challenging conditions. And they have seen the resilience that builds up in dealing with that situation. So they have more resilience to deal with the challenge of HIV. That's my observation. That um, the parents are dealing with poverty and, um, you know, sometimes the landlord comes along and wants to evict them. So they have to handle these types of situations. And uh, so I believe that they have more resilience in handling their status. It's interesting because people yeah. today would always talk about, well, we have to find balance. We have to find balance in our mm -hmm. life. But mm -hmm. what you're helping us to see is we have to find resilience. Yes. I mean, balance is mm. uh, an ideal state where you have all these mm. buckets and you can figure out well, how much water to put in <laughs> yes. each bucket. Mm. But mm. but if you don't have any water, no. you got to figure out how to be resilient. Yeah. And maybe part of learning how to be in healthcare, a better healer, a better human being, mm -hmm. has to do with mm -hmm. the opportunities that we place ourselves in that yeah. create resilience. Yes. Rather than this kind of, I'll protect you from everything, which yes. is a new dad, yes. is part of what I always want to do, right? Yes. We have to shield. I have yes. to protect. But yes. what you're drawing out is that these people who are the phoenix rising mm. are people who have been through tremendous situations of mm. seeing how a mom or a dad mm. responds mm -hmm. to tremendous suffering. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So um, there is that aspect of of these um, these young people that I admire. Mm. You follow. In the village, um, because they have grown up in family, it's more like leaving the parental home and moving on. Yes, you'll be back to the parental home, but you can move on now mm -hmm. and you have that confidence mm -hmm. and resilience mm -hmm. to um, settle out there. And, um, you know, those young people, they can pick up a job easily because um, they haven't that vulnerability of their status, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, they can rough it they more. They can rough it. Yeah, than um, the children who are living with HIV. 
you know, I think of you and almost mm-hmm. every day you get up to rough it for almost 4,000 people. <laughs> I mean, you have. No, but the, yeah, I get great joy. Um, yeah, how do you find that GS joy? Martin. How do you no, find that? To see a young, a child now growing up, despite the fact that they have inherited a virus, and to see them growing up and going through education and being able to dream their dreams and finally settle out in the wider community, that's tremendous. Um, if we didn't get the antiretroviral medication, um, these children would not be alive today. Mm-hmm. They would be. They would have passed away. Like in the beginning, we had no medication, so we would bury two a month, sometimes three a month. And uh, but we just gave them quality life for the short time they would be with us. But now there's no limit to their lifespan. How did you get through those early days? I know I was with you at different Very times. Difficult. I remember Mother Matron and. She taught me as uh, one of the children died and we, I had to go in and tell the kids that their friend had died. And then we walked right past the body and then we buried the body. I dug the grave. Yeah. How, how do you find this internal way to re- revive yourself for the next day of the yeah. possible next burial? No, um, that was, there were difficult times. And they were particularly difficult for Protus, who was living in the Nyumbani home, mm-hmm. and the sisters who are living there. You follow? Yeah. Um, one girl, she was 12 years of age, and uh, we were about to get the antiretroviral medication, and we're hoping that she would last until we got it. And she didn't. She passed away. That was heartbreak, especially for Protus because he was hoping that she would manage just to survive until we got the antiretroviral medication. Mm-hmm. T- 12 years, you know, yeah. she lived with the virus in those days without any medication. We had others who lived as well without um, the medication, slow progressors, they were, they're called, you know. Uh-huh. But um, there comes a time when they have to go on the medication. But now, every child that's born, uh, of a HIV-positive mother and, sadly, has inherited the virus, immediately goes on ART so that their system can develop normally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things we're doing tonight is to honour someone who has come to aid mm-hmm. these children. And surprisingly, people wouldn't know the story of George Bush. That's right. <laughs> and, and could you talk a little bit about how Numbani came to be a place that uh, the Global Fund and, and also the um, USAID. George Bush USAID mm. uh, began to understand. Mm. Yeah. Um, from 1999, uh, we were funded by USAID for our community-based care program. But there was no access to antiretroviral medication. Father Dag lobbied and lobbied and lobbied. He got access to AZT um, from Brazil. Brazil were manufacturing their own um, AZT, uh, despite the patent, and we managed to get um, access to two consignments of that. Uh, But that was in 2001-2002. But then the great news came when PEPFAR was started in 2003. But it took until early 2005 before we got access for children. Children always come last. Mm. The adults were on it 2004, but not the children. 
Yes, but once we got the antiretroviral medication, that was tremendous. So we'll always be very, very grateful to um, President George Bush Jr. Uh-huh. Right for that. Yeah. And, and you realize you live in this, uh, I do, in this very uh, world of, of comfort. Mm-hmm. And we might tend to think how much we're carrying. And we have to understand, too, from a, a healing perspective that we all have something that we're carrying. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. You, now, one of the times I know personally in my life, and I brought it to you, and I was sitting across from you, uh, and trying to understand how do you move from one life to another? And I'll never forget, sister, we were sitting there, and the thing that you said to me was, you always want to look for confirmation. Yes, and sister, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you unpack that a little bit? I know a lot of people are trying to understand what they should do with their life, and, and you were very gentle with me, as well as understanding that there can be calls outside of a call or mm-hmm. a second call. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you help people go through life just as maybe some of these phoenix risings mm-hmm. who thought their life was over if they only went this mm-hmm. one way. Huh? Mm-hmm. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Um, as a person of faith, I believe that God's Spirit is a gift to us to help us in discerning uh, the call in life to us. Because I believe each of us has a vocation And that vocation um, is arrived at through a discernment process um, that will be um, looking at what is calling me that way and what seems to be not supporting that way. And to gradually be able to follow that process in discernment through prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to guide and also seeking a counsel, talking to somebody whom you trust so that as you can um, articulate what is happening inside you, um, it becomes more objective and a person who is whom you trust can help you in seeing that um, out there the the objective um, situation that's happening in you and help you finally to to choose. Mm -hmm. But it's the work of the Spirit, Mm -hmm. gift of the Spirit, through prayer. Yeah. What have you learned about God all these years? What did I learn about God? (laughs) Um, Well... One thing I learned about God is that in the earlier days in Ireland, um, as a result of Jansenism, um, the image of God was of uh, somebody right up there, you know, and also there was an element of, um, as it were, um, watching your behaviour and... uh, sort of um, sort of expecting um, that uh, God would not be pleased with you because of this. He was like a, a police officer. Is God responding to us? 
Oh, it's a test. <laughs> it is. Usually that would be a Jansenist test. <laughs> so, um, but um, over time, um, you know, God loves me unconditionally, and I have no doubt about that. But it was more conditional in the early days because of the way that the faith was imparted to us and the importance of, the, the importance of behavior, of good behavior, seemed to be paramount rather than that God would love you. Um, and so um, in the Ignatian spirituality, we're a loved sinner, yeah. So um, that really is, that is the way I now um, relate with God, yeah. He loves me unconditionally, yeah. Sometimes when I make mistakes, whatever, and I, I, yes, but he will be compassionate, or she will be compassionate, okay? What do you hope to do next? Final question. Next? <laughs> You're always a next. I know that. I'm gonna see you next year and you'll have something next mm. year. And... Well, my big focus with the children now is to see how we can help graduates, help them in the transition from our care, and then when they're out there, so that they can integrate into the uh, community um, without that terrible vulnerability they experience about their status. Stigma has to be eradicated, has to be. It's so unjust. Humans, of course, stigmatize all the time. Prejudice, follow? It could be race, religion, politics, you know, and um, now it is um, the, the children living with HIV, okay? Homosexuality is another area. So um, to educate people that HIV is simply a medical condition and as long as I take medication, there's no limit to my lifespan. I'm looking to a time when there's going to be the injection. First of all, it'll be injection maybe for a month or two months. Then it could be an injection for a year. So then, um, but still, if somebody finds out I'm living with HIV, they can still stigmatize me, you know. This is the terrible, it's a terrible trait in human nature. Mm -hmm. A terrible trait in human nature. It's, it's fear and ignorance yeah. which get you in, to um, uh, stigmatize people, yeah. to have a prejudice. Follow? Difference do. is beautiful. And on that, that piece of difference. Difference is beautiful, and we need to um, grow into that. And it makes your life so much more enriched when you enjoyed difference, yeah? Oh, well, I can say that over the 20 years, we might have been from different lands, but <laughs> our friendship uh, has meant a great deal to me. And if, if people want to know about Numbani, it's worldwideweb.numbani.org, N-Y-U-M-B-A-N-I. Mm -hmm. And I have to thank you. Uh, I love you so much, sister. And I also value our friendship, Martin, very much, okay? And, All right. Uh, we'll see what uh, next <laughs> is brought to Numbani and our world. Thank you, sister. Thank you. Okay.
time heals all wounds. Join us for our next episode of Healing Stories.